All right. If you have your Bibles, you'll open up to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. Verses 7 through 12. James states this in the Word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do rejoice to be able to come together as your people, open up your word and have you speak to us. And Father, we need the help. This one bringing the message needs the help of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds and transform us into new beings that humbly and obediently obey your word and your will. Father, would you bless this time in Christ's name. Amen. We have been going through James' epistle to this dispersed tribe of the diaspora, if you will. Um, And he has come to chapter 5, and if you read through this in one setting, you can't help but get a sense of, okay, he's bringing things to a close. Because what James does here is he introduces topics throughout, beginning in chapter 1, a little bit more in chapter 2, and then chapter 3. Chapter 4 is a call to repentance, really, for unbelievers in the church. But in 5, he's tying everything up, wrapping it in a bow. If you've ever written a paper for high school, college, or graduate school, usually say what you're going to state what you're going to say up front, and then in the conclusion you bring it all back together. Now last week I talked about chapter 5 being a little bit different. It's set at eschatologically. It's, it's talking about the last days. But the last days isn't a short period. It is from Christ's first coming, His death, resurrection, and ascension, and His second coming, which is out there somewhere in the future that only the Father Knows. And so in this, James is now saying, okay, Christian, to answer Francis Schaeffer's question, how do we live? He gives him three things he wants him to think about in these final days. He wants you to think about possessions. We talked about that a little bit last week. Patience, which we'll talk about this week. And then prayer next week. These are three things to occupy your time and your mind and your heart in these last days. My wife Gail and I were recently up in McKinney. We went up there to have some barbecue and then we went to an ice cream parlor that's just off the square. And so as we're walking down, my wife's looking in the different um, 
window shops and she sees a sign. And she goes, you got to see this. you got to see this. And the sign says, I had my patience tested. It was negative. <laughs> patience. What a word. We're going to talk about four things this morning and hopefully stay on time. Uh, we're going to talk about a need for patience. We're going to talk about the nature of patience or biblical nature of patience. We're going to talk about some examples of patience. And then we're going to talk about the speech of the patient. So as we look at this, like I said, patience is quite a word. Uh, it is a characteristic that we see that we want to have, a, a virtue, if you will. We say that we want it, but if we're honest, what we really want is other people to have it and for them to leave us alone. Patience is popular is a popular prayer request for us to have. If we don't have anything else at the moment, we'll say, well, I, I need patience. Pray that I will have patience. And we do. When you think about it, there's a need for patience. For those of us that are parents, we need to be patient with our kids that are rambunctious. We need to be patient with our teens that stay out past curfew. We need to be patient fathers with those who have daughters that dress a little bit more like Hollywood than you would like. Or wives, we would ask you as husbands to be patient with us when we're forgetful, when we work at the office too late, forgetting about commitments that we've made or said that we were going to do, anniversaries and birthdays, kids' activities. On the flip side, husbands, we would ask wives to be patient with us, or ask our wives to be patient, excuse me. Our wives at times test our own mettle as husbands. We'll go to a party and they want to stay and stay and stay. And my wife would say just the opposite. I'm the one that wants to stay and talk. But we all need patience. If you're in business, bosses need to be patient with secretaries who forget Secretaries need to be patient with bosses who forget meetings, forget appointments. And sometimes all of us need to be patient with our own parents, children, or even if you are parents, with your own parents. We all need patience. It is a virtue. It is a characteristic that we all want to have. But I believe that more than any other age, patience is now a lost art. We really don't consider it. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. I'll date myself here. Okay, it was a, it was a different age. Technology, though we had some technology, didn't have it like today. Alright, we didn't have it. Our first black and white TV, 13 inch screen, you had to get up and walk across, change the dial if you wanted more volume, or change to one of three stations. ABC, NBC, and CBS. We had radio. Okay, TV wasn't that big of a deal. Big baseball fan like Pastor Jake. If you wanted to listen to your favorite baseball team, you did on the radio. You had to be patient in listening to the commentators. You had to be intent with your attention because they would describe in great detail what they saw so in your mind you could see what's happening on the field. 
there was only one baseball game of the week. It was on Saturday. May not be your team. Most of the time it wasn't. News was something else. Newspapers were the thing. There was morning newspapers. There was evening newspapers. Listen, if you go back in ancient time, the only way something was communicated was either orally or it had been written down. And then someone had to get on a horse or get on a ship or go behind the horse and wagon or walk to take it from one place to another. It didn't happen instantaneously. But we live in a time of instant gratification. Do we not? We can pull out our cell phone. And we can do a Google search. And we can put something in and we go, one, two, no, I can't wait. Really? Don't we? Look, at text messaging is absolutely phenomenal. I can text somebody. I see it went through. I see the other person received it. And then you see those little ghost dots down below. They're answering. What's taking them so long? It's been 20 seconds. We need patience, do we not? But it's a lost art. I've talked about my father out in California and his vineyard that he has. And people have asked me, well, how long when you planted the grapes, the grapevines first put in the ground and and how long does it take to get a harvest well it takes four years and then the zinfandel grapes that he grows if you harvest them in that four year when will it be wine that's ready to drink well it's another three years seven years so if you're looking to be a winemaker a vineyard seven years before as james talks about precious fruit comes it takes a while Patience is a lost art. There are some people that still do trades that take a long time. If anyone here partakes of an adult beverage, scotch, you will notice that scotch is aged usually a minimum of 12 years. Can you imagine the craftsmanship of that person that is putting that recipe together and then aging it in barrels turning the barrels ever so often, and no one's going to partake of it for 12 years. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis were told that they would have a child. When the promise came, one would think that, okay, we know how babies are made. In a year, we're going to have a son. Nope. 25 years later, Isaac is born. Patience is needed. It is a lost art. Anyone see the movie by Tom Hanks, News of the World? See that one? Okay, not a very popular movie, obviously. (laughs) Tom Hanks plays a reporter in the late 1800s. He collects newspapers from the East Coast. He's living out West. He would gather people in a room and then he would read articles from different papers, different cities, different states, so that these people could hear the news of the world. They were attentive on every single word. Let me ask a question. 
Are you patient to read the Word of God? Are you attentive to every word that is being spoken? Do you look at the detail that is in this? The examples that are being given. Do you see Christ in the pages of Scripture? Do you have the patience to do that? Or do you read one chapter and go, I just can't do anymore? We need to develop patience. We need to cultivate patience. We live in an impatient world, and unfortunately our world teaches us, it brainwashes us daily, minute by minute, to live impatient lives. I said when I was young and watched TV and a long time ago, commercials were a minute long. Now they make six-second commercials. You see things on the, the internet, you go to Facebook, you see all the social media that's out there, and these character lines are just compressed, truncated. It shortens our ability to stay engaged. If I can't get your attention in five seconds, you're gone. We need to develop this. The gospel does take a little bit of time to communicate, does it not? We don't simply get with someone and say, hey, Christ lived, He died, He was buried, He rose again, and He ascended into heaven. Do you want to believe? No, we have to have a relationship. We have to sit down with people. We have to discuss life together. One needs to pour into another, and the other pours into the other. Back. It takes time to communicate back and forth. Don't get me wrong, technology is great. We use it. It gets the kingdom message out. There is a ministry called MERF, M-E-R-F, they broadcast gospel messages into the Middle East. So technology is amazing. We don't want to say we're not patient, therefore throw the technology out. No, it's a tool like everything else and we need to use it appropriately. So the need for communication. Now the nature, or excuse me, the need for patience. Now the nature of patience James wants us to understand he's not just talking about any kind of patience. It's, it's not about me being told that it's going to be so long before something happens and then I sit in my chair and I watch the clock on the wall and I watch the second hand go around and around and around and try to stay calm, have no anxiety. No, it, it, it's not that. James introduces Christian patience. So he wants us to understand in chapter 5 that there is a nature of patience, of Christian patience, and he does so through three words. Three words in the text. He uses the word patience, he uses the word established, and he uses the word steadfastness. Now each of these plays a different part in Christian patience, but they all play a role in it. Adequate. The first word, patience. It's in twice, used twice in verse 7, once in 8, and once in 10. It means long-suffering. It means long-temperance. That idea of long-temperance might make you think about short-tempered people. This is just the opposite. You know people that are short-tempered. Maybe you are short-tempered. Maybe that's something that you have to deal with on a regular basis. 
But short-tempered people, we might say, have a short fuse. It doesn't take much to push their buttons and get them to go off. James says we need to have patience, be long-suffering, opposite of being short-tempered. Eric Alexander tells the story of a friend of his. He's from Scotland. His friend came to America to go on holiday, spend some time with his brother here in America. And he's in Southern California, and so he wants to see some things as he's going around town, and he asks his brother while he is there if he can borrow the car. And he says, sure. He goes, don't worry about me, I'll find my way around. And he gets used to the highway system that's out there, and one day he's driving along the highway, and he exits off. He comes to a stoplight, and he stops. He looks up in the rearview mirror, and here's a car, a convertible, coming behind him with what he says is a young lad. I guess that's a euphemism that Scottish people use. This young man pulls up behind him, and shortly after coming to a stop, he begins to honk the horn. Beep, 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 beep. Alexander's brother looks up in the mirror and says, No, I don't recognize this individual at all. He continues to beep, and now he kind of glares into the rearview mirror and goes, there's nothing wrong with this car. Why in the world would this young lad keep honking? This is rude. He honks some more. Alexander's friend says, I don't know him, and now he's really getting irritated. And just when the light is about to change, he gets out of the car, he bounds over to the young lad, And he says that if it wasn't for self-control, I would have taken his life. But he says, young lad, if you honk at me again, I'm going to wring your neck. The young man said, oh, sir, I I am so sorry. But your, your bumper says, honk if you love Jesus. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? I'm honking for Jesus. I thought you wanted me to do that. Alexander's brother crawls back in the car. And as he sits there, he thinks, how many times do we get into situations where we are not patient with someone else? How how many times do we get in that and we become short-tempered and not long-tempered? How many times do we end up disgracing the name of Christ instead of portraying the name of Christ? So that's the first word, patience. second word is established. It shows up in verse 8. This is one of the other things that is commanded by James here. This word has the idea of standing firm, being committed to something. It's an inward strength to do a task. Okay, that's, that's this idea of establish. He says, establish your hearts, your inward person. So I'm going to have this outward patience towards others where I'm temperate, I'm long-suffering towards others, but inside I'm going to have this, this strength, this commitment to a particular task. If you're familiar with the Battle of Marathon, Battle of Marathon in Greece, around 490 B.C., The Persians had attacked Greece and they attacked the city of Marathon that was 26 miles 
from Athens. 26 miles. Some Athenians were actually there and other city-states had gone to ward off the Persians. And when they did have victory, they sent a courier from Marathon 26 miles to Athens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really ruin this name, but it, it's Phidiopes. Phidiopes. So Phidiopes, through this strength to the task, this commitment to deliver the message, runs just over 26 miles. When he gets there, his words are, Victory, victory, rejoice, we conquer. And he breathed his last. He was established in his heart to do this. Now let me tie this thing together. That word established that's used here is also used in Luke 9.51 speaking of Jesus. Luke says this, When the drays drew near for him to be taken up, he set, the word established, his face to go to Jerusalem. Why was he going to Jerusalem? To die. For you... And for me. That took an inner strength, a commitment, a firmness that Christ had both in His humanity and His deity to go and go to the cross to die for our sins that we might have forgiveness. We need to be established. The third word that's used in this triad, so to speak, is steadfastness. It's used in verse 11 two different times. And this word is when facing opposition to stand one's ground to endure. To endure. So these three words come together to form this idea of Christian patience. We have a long-suffering. We have an inward constitution a commitment to strive and to do and a steadfast to hold our ground. We need to be patient in a Christian manner. Now, some of you might think right now you're overwhelmed. Jeff, I can't do that. Well, I, I can't do it either. But here's the beauty. is patience, Christian patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5. Look at Galatians 5.22. Paul is saying in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, that one will either walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. Either or. And so he's talking about walking in the Spirit, but the beauty of walking in the Spirit is you're doing walking in the Spirit with the Spirit dwelling within you, enabling you to do this. And so you have in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Patience is that fourth word that's used in that. But let's be, let's be honest. If we have a pageant and the contestants are the fruit of the Spirit, patience isn't winning the show. Okay? We're all going to vote for love. And then maybe some of us avoid the joy. 
We, we like those things, maybe even self-control. We, we, we might really want that one or to be gentle, but patience is not at the top of the list. Of course, those things are little things. We need to focus on the bigger things in the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to live that out. Well, we've established this triad. Let's look at some examples that our text wants us to look at of how patience is perceived. In verse 7, James says this, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Back in those early days within Israel, Planting, sowing of a harvest would take place in September of the year. When it talks about the early rains, it's rains that would occur in October and November. Those would be the early rains. And then the late rains are actually the following spring, March and April, for the harvest. This farmer is an example of patience when it comes to the things of nature. But we know that all of nature is part of God's created order. He teaches us, gives us object lessons through nature. He does it all the time. Now he's using a farmer here. This farmer waits, another aspect of patience, and he's waiting for something specific. Precious fruit. There is a goal of patience for the farmer. It's precious fruit that is out there in the distant future. He has to wait. He has to be patient about it because there's an aspect that he does not control and an aspect that he does control. Patience is not just passive. It has an active aspect to it. It's not like this farmer went and sowed the seed, went back in his house, and was going to stay there until a year... uh, Ten months goes by and then go out and harvest. He is going to be dependent upon the sovereign Lord who brings the rains. Probably will pray for rain. Pray for the growth growth of the crop. But he was also be active. Gala's father retired from the insurance industry when he was 50 years of age. They moved here to Plano. Gala finished her junior-senior year, and then a, a whole group of us went out to Texas Tech to go to college. When that happened, he sold the house, and he bought some property out in Athens, Texas. And he began to farm, do something with his time. He would plant the seeds. He didn't have irrigation, so, yeah, he had to pray for rain. Early rain, late rain, rain in between so that the crops would grow. But in between this time, he was active. He had a tractor. He would till between the roads, rows. He he would take a, a hoe and go between plant by plant. And then he'd go and he'd thin things out. He There'd be too many corn husks and he'd take some of those away so that the others would be more plump, more juicy, good to eat. He grew corn, he grew melons, he grew black-eyed peas. Athens is the black-eyed pea capital of the world. And then he'd do different varieties of that. He had lady creams and your standard black-eyed pea and then purple holes. Purple holes were purple, called purple holes because the whole of the peas were purple. 
So he was active this whole time. The guy worked harder than anybody I've ever seen. I went down there to pick for him one summer. Wow. <laughs> Picking peas. I earned $300 that summer. Picking peas. Picking them, put them in the bushel. And so I would pick. But you got paid by the bushel. There was a Filipino woman down there that was a neighbor of theirs that used to pick as well. She saw the goal. The more she picked, the more, and she was fast. But look at when you're active and you're doing things, patience is easier. Your, your focus is no longer on the clock. How many times have you been working on, the proje- on a project and you lose all sense of time? That's actually a good thing. And so we have this, this example of patience from nature and the farmer. The second one is given to us in verse 10. It is of the prophets. So now we, have, we, have, we move from an example of nature and now we're going to move to one of an example of patience in the spiritual realm of things. Prophets were not popular. Let me say that again. Pro- prophets were not popular. And preachers sometimes are not popular. They'll say things that people don't really want to hear. You probably didn't want to hear me talk about a tithe last week. But we do. We teach, preach the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and all of His commands. And so here he says, take an example, prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You can go through them. You can think of Elijah and Elisha. He didn't have popular messages. People wanted to kill him. How about Isaiah? Jeremiah? He was thrown in an empty cistern and left for dead. But none of these prophets, none of these prophets stopped speaking the Word of God. They understood the command of God, the call of God, and their role in their lives. For as long as God had them here, they were to speak His Word. So we have the prophets. And then we have this line, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. How many have read the book of Job? Good. That's great. It can be a long book to get through. All right? Job, a wealthy man. Job has all the tragedy that happens to him at the beginning. These friends come and they just sit with him for a while. And then they begin to speak into his life. But they speak wrongly. They want him to repent of his sin. The only reason these things happen to you is because of sin. But Job understood, he says in in chapter 19, I know my Redeemer lives. His steadfastness was in the promise of the Christ that is to come. And he was steadfast all the way through. Did he have some words with God and question things? Yes. But he never lost his faith. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was steadfast to the end. Now this, let me remind you here, this is a man that doesn't know what's going to happen. 
He has no idea that in chapter 42 and on, that God's going to not only restore everything, but He is going to give him more than what he had before. But brothers and sisters, spoil alert, (laughs) we know the end of his story, do we not? We have the complete revelation. And guess what? We know the big ending. We know the beginning and the end. Job didn't have that and he remained steadfast. You and I have it. Can we not be steadfast? Can we not be patient? Can we not establish our hearts? Job waited. He was willing to wait. He had his eyes on the prize. Paul says in Philippians that he has set himself on the goal of the upward call, the upward prize in Christ Jesus. We need to do the same. Now let's take just a moment to look at these commands for keeping patience. These have to do with speech. Commands for keeping patient, or I should say speech for the patient. Two commands here. One in verse 9 and the other in verse 12. Do not grumble and do not swear. Many of us might read this as a cursory overview and go, what does that have to do with patience? What, what, it, what is not grumbling and not swearing have to do with the rest of this picture of being patient until Christ coming again? How is that? Well, it really is no secret. If you are suffering, if you are afflicted, or you are being persecuted, if someone begins, the world begins to put pressure on you and squeeze upon you, you tend to get overcome. And then you say things that you wished you hadn't said. How many of us have a bad day? And we go home, our wife or our kids or our husband have nothing to do with the situation of the day at hand. How was your day? It was rotten. I tell you what, and there we go. They had nothing to do with it. But you speak to them as if they're the party that offended you. Or, or they're the reason that you're afflicted or suffering or sick. They lash out. James is saying, do not grumble. Paul says in his letter to Corinthians, speaking about the children of, the, of Israel, that they're example to us. They were all baptized into Moses. They all crossed the Red Sea. And then it goes on and talks about how they were. They were grumblers and complainers. Brothers and sisters, as we said in our affirmation of faith, we're to love one another in word and deed. Word and deed. Sweetness of speech. If we do that, it says we won't be judged here. Now we know if we are in Christ, if we have placed faith in Christ, His death, His blood has taken care of us. We are united with Him. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the things that we've done. 
Okay, it's all going to be laid out there. Everything that we've done. Now we know when we go to heaven that there'll be no more tears, but there may be tears for you and I at that point in time. So part of this being patient, having Christian patience, being patience, being established, being steadfast, is to hold the tongue. Now you might say, but Jeff, in chapter 3, James says no human can tame the tongue. And I would say, yeah, no human can. But the Spirit can. But the Holy Spirit can. Because the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you're supposed to speak. I believe that He'll also keep you from saying the things that you shouldn't say. So we don't want to grumble. It says that the judge is standing at the door, and this is the judge. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we've seemed to have lost a concept of is the immediate return of Christ. The immediate return of Christ. Dispensationalism, and yes, I said it, has done a bad thing for us. They teach that there are certain things that have to take place before Christ comes back again. Brothers and sisters, Scripture says no. He, he could come now. He could come in the next hour. He could come tomorrow, the day after, or next week. People during the Lord's time had a respect, a affinity, an affinitive for imminent return. It's going to be in my lifetime. Now, it may or may not, but still I should live that way because if I do, I'm going to have Christian patience. If I do, my speech is going to be such that I control the tongue through the Holy Spirit. And instead of saying things that I shouldn't say during this waiting period of the coming of the Lord, I will choose to speak the gospel of peace. That will be what I work on. The other thing that he talks about here is do not swear. I'll make this very, very quick. James has wanted us to understand that we should not be living a divided life. No double-mindedness, no instability. Okay, We want to be undivided. We want to live for Christ in all that we do. So we need to be people of integrity, people of character, so that our speech that represents the speech of being patient is such that we say things truly. Our yes is yes and our no is no. And what I mean by that is those who used to swear would say, well, I swear by the gold in the temple or I swear by the altar. It was always something else. And the question has to be asked, well, if you're not swearing by that, does that mean the other stuff is not true? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I had to testify once a while back at a, at a federal case, and I had three depositions because they want to make sure that my story didn't change. But every time I would say, Jeff, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. It's really easy. You know it. Just tell it. That's it. And that's how we need to be. Our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no. So this passage shows us our need for patience. It shows us also the nature of patience. It shows us some examples of patience and then how our speech is supposed to be of us who are patient.
I want to close with, with this. One of the things that is difficult for me, it may be difficult for you, is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and being motivated for that or looking forward to that. And I want to give you another perspective to think about because sometimes we just think about Jesus is coming back. And yes, for many of us, Jesus is everything. Jesus is what we're longing for. But we get so caught up in the day-to-day living that we tend to forget about that. So here's a perspective to think about that may, may, may motivate you more to thinking about Christ coming again. Christ is preeminent when it comes to patience. There are theological terms called an archetype and an ectype. Archetype, ectype. One starts with an A, one starts with an E. Archetype is the original. It is the mold that makes everything else. Ectype is, is everything else. So think about a king in, in ancient times and he would put out a decree and then he would take a signet ring, a big ring like this, and then they would pour wax on the rolled up scroll and then he'd press into it. So the ring is the archetype, the original, and what is impressed in the other is ectype. All right? So Christ is the archetype, the epitome of patience. And let me try to do this as quickly as possible. And you can, you, you can look at Scripture as a whole here. But follow me here for just a moment. Before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of time, the Father and Son make a promise to one another. And the Father says to the Son, I'm going to give you a people. This is a people that you will need to redeem through your death, burial, resurrection. But you will come back and ascend and be with me and then we'll gather them all at the end of time. Now, I want you to think beyond that people as not being just a people, but being the bride of Christ. So 4,000 years, approximately, goes by from let there be light to the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. 4,000 years. Scripture doesn't record this. And I don't think that this happened. But Jesus never went to the Father and go, is it time yet? Is it time for me to go? Is it time for me to go? Like kids in the car, are we there yet? He waits 4,000 years. He comes on the scene. Simeon is there in the temple and Mary and Joseph take Jesus in there and he was told by the Spirit that he is going to see the consolation of the Lord. And he holds the child. And he recognizes that the Messiah has come. But I will tell you, it's more than the Messiah. It's the bridegroom has come. He lives 30 years before he starts his ministry. Another enduring of patience by the Lord Jesus Christ. 30 years. He gets to finally do the ministry that he's come to do. And that is to give the good news of the gospel, which is himself. And that goes by like a vapor, like a mist. It's three, three and a half years. 
the bridegroom came for the bride. But to get engaged, not to get married. This is the longest wedding engagement that I know of. It has been almost 2,000 years since Christ went to the cross and died for us and ascended. And now He's returning for you and me, His bride. And you can go through the parables and you can go through the Gospels. What are we supposed to be doing as we're waiting, as we're practicing Christian patience? We're supposed to be waiting for our groom. If you are here and you have been married, I would ask you to go back and think about your engagement and your wedding. Wasn't there anticipation? Wasn't there a longing for the coming, the joining together with your bride or your groom? Those who aren't even married yet, Young men, young women. What do you think about when you think of marriage? Do you think of it in terms of the way God has? That the Father sends the Son to be a bridegroom for a people that He's going to die for, lay down His life for, have this long engagement, and then come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Are you longing? Are you looking for the coming of Christ? Do you have the patience for it? Will you do the work that needs to be done in the meantime? Living and giving the gospel to those in need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for your word to us, what it means to us. Father, would you help us to have Christian patience, to long for your coming, to not be passive in waiting, but to be active looking for You, doing the work that You've asked us to do, that the bride may be complete for Your coming. We ask, us, we ask You to bless us in our work to that end, but may we love You with a longing. In Jesus' name, Amen.